Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are. The Quantum Mechanics, the podcast that takes a peek under the hood of the paranormal and tries to work out what on earth is going on out there. We are indeed. Um, for today's episode, it was it's really been sparked by uh, an incident that happened uh, to me a couple of months ago. Um, we had done episodes about uh i think it's called vodka and the benches where we talked about strange coincidences and jots just one of those things and i had this strange thing where we were looking in our back garden and there was an injured bird uh i think it was a jackdaw they're quite big birds but it was it was a young fledgling don't know if it had fallen out of a nest or something but it looked like it had a broken wing uh, so we, we there's a local um, kind of sanctuary that looks after animals. We gave them a ring and said, right, we've got this bird, what do we do? And they said, well, if you could, uh, you know, wrap it in a blanket or, or a towel or something, put it in a, a cardboard box with a few holes in it so it can breathe and bring it in. Um, this is kind of at the start of lockdown. Um, so we had plenty of Amazon various size boxes to choose from. So we just grabbed one of those. We put this little fledgling bird in. We drove the two or three miles to this kind of sanctuary. They took the bird, gave us the towel and the, bo- the box back, and we headed home, Thought, thinking, you know, we've done our good deed for the day. Uh, we've looked after an animal. And I got out of the car and walked to our front door, and there was a bird on the front door that was injured, another bird. Now, it wasn't a jackdaw, it was a smaller one, like a finch or something. I'm no no twitcher. They're called twitchers, aren't they? Uh, twitcher or uh, ornithologist? It's probably better. I'm no ornithologist, I'll tell you that. But um, So there's this small bird on the thing. So we've just dropped one bird off. We come back and there's another injured bird, this time on, by the front doorstep. You know, so we were joking around saying... You so, know, all so did you roast it? Yeah, yeah, we well, I, I, I took the mickey. <laughs> it was out a roasted. It. it was an <laughs> injured chicken. <laughs> I did. I, I took the mickey out of it for at least five minutes. I don't know if that counts. <laughs> <way>. um, <laughs> so yeah, so we drop one bird off. We come back. We box in hand, and there's another one waiting for us at the doorstep. So we literally got back in the car, drove the three miles back to the sanctuary, and they're like, "What are you doing back?" We said, "Well, we found another bird." Literally, when we got home. Uh, can we give you this one? And they said, well, yeah, the, it looks like it's kind of flown into a window and just a bit dazed, but we'll we'll nurse it back to health. And thanks very much for bringing your two birds on two separate occasions within the last half hour. And now you've got a reputation as <laughs> the household that really hurts birds. The bird whisperer. We've put little stickers on the windows so they don't fly into them anymore. You can get these cute little bird stickers. We definitely recommend them if you've got a house that has birds flying in. So it was an odd thing, but you know, I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast before because it didn't feel like, oh my God, there's this spooky thing. But the spooky thing about it was uh, last week, we've kind of, I don't, it depends what country you are, what your kind of lockdown arrangements and, and COVID arrangements are, but you can form... In, in the UK, you can form a bubble with another family. We formed a bubble with another family, and we decided to go away in a holiday home for a week with them. So we're on this holiday, uh, and somebody asked about the podcast. They said, oh, what's, you know, how's it going, and what have you covered? And talk, I was talking about it. And they said, oh, have you had any strange experiences? So I talked a bit about remote viewing. I talked 
a little bit about some of the kind of jots and strange serendipitous moments that both you and me have had, Ben, since we've been doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I told the story about the birds and these two birds that we'd taken to the sanctuary. And they said, oh, that's really amazing. And with that, my son ran up from another part of the garden and said, Dad, Dad, there's an injured bird. (laughs) So... And I thought he was joking. I thought, well, maybe he's overheard the conversation we have and he's, you know, he's only nine, so, you know, he's just kind of maybe joking with us. No, walk up to this house. There is a pigeon that has flown into, I think, one of the windows, dazed, lying on the floor in a right old state. It so was just What, what did he do? Well, it was like... Because uh, it wasn't our house, so I didn't know whether, oh, God, do we need to find a sanctuary or find somebody who looks after it? But in the couple of minutes where we were debating what to do, this bird obviously kind of got itself together and basically flew off. It was all right in the end. But right, it, was right. su- it was such a weird thing that I was telling the story and they said, have you had any strange coincidences? I tell them the bird story. Lo and behold, there's another injured bird. Okay, it's so yeah, weird. That is odd. That is now, odd. Now, the other bit of it was from that point, we all started talking about what, well, one of one of the people who we were with said, oh, that reminds me a bit of my aunt who swears. Flew into a window. <laughs> yeah, who swears that after her husband died, he came back as a robin and comes and visits her. Um, and then somebody else in the group went, oh, my God, I've got a friend who has a very similar story with a bird that, again, after a bereavement, comes back and whenever they've got kind of times of difficulties or stress, come and hang out with them. And then there was a third story. So this I mean, it makes it sound like I'm with 100 people, but we're with a group of like six or seven people. Um, and uh, they told the story of their, their mother had died when they were quite young. Uh, and that their mother had loved Christmas and, you know, it was a big family thing and she, as lots of people do, and kind of cook meals or whatever. So when she passed, it was the first Christmas without her. Uh, My friend decided, you know, Christmas Day, she was getting a bit emotional, decided to go and sit on the back step uh, and just have a moment and just kind of think about her mum and whatever. And she said as she was sat there, a robin flew next to her, less than a metre away, so literally, and sat next to her on the step and just chirped away at her for about five minutes, just sat with her. So, and she's not a particularly paranormal, spiritual person, but she said, I just I just thought it was, it, it was some kind of message or that somehow this thing was kind of some kind of spirit from my mum or something like that. And she said... Often when she thinks of her mum or, you know, she's she's sad about it, uh, she'll often have a robin come up and kind of visit her. So I just started thinking, well, everybody seems to have these stories. I, I wonder if it's a thing, which got me thinking about animals. Now, I know there's kind of lots of cultures that um, embrace animals and certainly Native American culture definitely embraces this uh, and there's such a thing, you know, there's spirit guides, there's totems. Uh, so I, I, 
just kind of I'm going to read a bit from a website because I think it explains it. So a totem is a spirit being, sacred object or a symbol of a tribe, clan, family or individual. Uh, some Native American tribes tradition provide that each person is connected with nine different animals that will accompany them through his or her life acting as guides. Different animal guides, also called spirit guides or power animals, come in and out of our lives depending on the direction that we are heading and the tasks that we need. Uh, these tribes believe further uh, explain that a totem animal is one that is with you for life, both in physical and the spiritual world. Though people may identify with different animal guides throughout their lifetimes, there is one totem anim animal that will act as the main guardian spirit. So, because I, I, when I started thinking about this thing, because there are lots of stories about people who've, lots of birds, lots of people have been visited by birds when they're in grief. It just got me thinking about animals in general and our relationship to animals and spirits. So I, I did a bit of research. Um, uh, I don't know, have you had, do you know anyone? Have you ever heard of this thing, Ben? Have you heard stories like this of animals? Uh Yes, I have heard stories l like this, but uh, the bird thing is particularly... It was on my mind when, when you started mentioning this. So uh, about a year ago, uh, a friend of mine passed away and uh, she was, you know, she was maybe... She was about 10 years younger than me. And... Um, I didn't hear about it until about 24 hours after it happened. Right. But the morning that it did happen, I was going into the central line on the tube on my way to work. And for anyone that doesn't live in the UK, the central line is about the busiest station uh, there is on the underground, particularly at rush hour. And it's uh, it's very deep. And so you, you end up going down. Um, I think my journey is three long elevators down uh right. escalators down and um i was i was going onto the platform and a white feather came and landed on my nose which is a weird wow. is a weird, weird thing and um later on that day when i was told that she died i thought oh well, i wonder if and then a couple of days later i said to myself just what well, i think i was in the shower i said in, in my head well, if that was you, uh, could 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 you do it again? And then uh, about a day later, when I opened the door on my car, there was a white feather on my car seat, which is Ooh, inside inside the car. Inside wow. the car, yeah. Wow. Okay. And uh, like, look, there's loads of different ways to explain that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the you know coincidence probably has uh, a higher you know probability than anything else but i did think that was odd well it's funny because i think what what i thought was odd was we were with a group of you know three three or four adults and a few kids so basically out of the four or four or five adults that were there at, uh, when we were away three three of them at least had stories of people that they knew close to them or had had stories that had happened to themselves about visitations from animals, especially birds, generally after a bereavement or connected with someone that died. So I started kind of 
it made me think, and I started digging around about other stories. I found, I found some interesting stuff. Um, uh, Paul McCartney. So Paul McCartney, Beatles god, I guess you'd probably have to say, um, in 2018 revealed that he believed his wife, Linda, who died of breast cancer in 1998, uh, used to come back and visit him and give him a sign uh, in, the, in the form of a squirrel. Um, he he kind of believed it was the embodiment of his wife's spirit. Uh, it did say in the article, though, although he did admit to having dabbling with a few hallucinogenics at the time. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how much weight, but he he certainly kind of took some kind of spiritual comfort from it, at least, which I'll get onto in a minute. So then I found a, an interesting article in uh, the UK a UK newspaper called the Daily Mail. Uh, it's a couple of years old. Um, but it, it recounts a number of stories. and There's quite a few stories in this article, so we'll put a link to it in our social media. It'll be uh, in the episode description. Um, but I've just picked out a few of them because it, it it's amazing how many people this seems to have happened to. So the first story is from somebody called Jill O'Neill. Uh, she was 45 years old at the time of the article a couple of years ago. Uh, she she now lives with her second husband in Cambridge. Uh, her first husband was called Phil. Uh, they'd been together for 19 years and he died in November 2015 after being diagnosed with cancer. He was only 53 and the grief and the shock was unbearable for her, uh, which you can imagine, you know, I just can't imagine what that's like. But, um, but she believes he found a way to comfort her after his death by coming back as a Robin. So another Robin. And Robins seem to feature quite a lot. Um, and she says in in her when she's being interviewed, there is a saying, a Robin appears when a loved one is near. Uh, and I truly believe that has been the case with my, my, old, my first husband, Phil. Whenever I need his advice or I'm thinking about him, a Robin seems to appear. I know he'd say, what a load of rubbish but it happens too often simply to be a coincidence. Uh, she said, I think uh, Phil, her first husband, gave me permission to fall in love again. The night of my first date with what turned out to be her second husband, she says I was sitting in my car, kind of talking out loud to her first husband about the situation, and she said a, a robin suddenly appeared on the hood of her car. Uh, she says that her husband had helped her made other important choices as well. So her and her first husband uh, owned a business together, uh, a nursery business. Uh, and after his death, uh, and a while, she was kind of struggling to kind of maintain it. And she was deciding whether to sell it or not. She said, on the day that I had to decide whether I was going to sell the business, uh, I left to take the rubbish out and there were two robins sitting on a bin. It felt to me that my first husband, Phil, had brought my dear old dad with him, who died in 2013, and they were saying, don't sell, so I didn't. When I told my children, my oldest daughter thought I was mad, but the twins that she had were only seven at the time, and they would often say, I really miss Daddy, and then I'll see a robin nearby, and it gives them comfort. Okay, <clears throat> that's interesting. <clears throat> the... There's two thoughts on that. The first one is, if you've been married to Paul McCartney or somebody's 
husband for 19 years, a squirrel or a robin does seem a bit of a downgrade <laughs> yeah. to to that life. But it could also be... So, like, so many of these conversations come back to the thought that maybe this is all a simulation. And yeah. um, if one thought about it, rather than, you know, sort of the 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 literal oh you were this man or this woman and now you're a squirrel or a bird if it was like a uh, an avatar yeah uh almost like when you're on when you when you play a game and uh, you win so many points or collect so many things you get a, a little avatar in the corner, or you, yeah, you change. take on a different character, or something. You take yeah. yes, exactly, yes, yes. Yeah. Then it's n- it's not such a crazy idea. Well, I think it was interesting because my friend, I spoke to her about it, and I said, "Well, this Robin that appears to you, uh, that's connected with uh, your 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 mother who passed." I said, "You know." It's not always been in the same location. It'd be different. So the chances that it's the same Robin are nigh on impossible. And she said, yeah, no, I'm not. She wasn't trying to kind of explain. She didn't believe there was one Robin. Not, uh, what am I trying to say? They didn't believe it was like a reincarnation. It was something akin to, although they didn't say this directly, almost that they just take the form of that animal or a different or a number of animals over a period of time when they're they're needed, almost... Uh, I don't know, like a like a pleasant possession, let's say maybe. Oh, With, I see. I do you see. know what I mean? Yeah. Rather yeah. rather than a reincarnation, because I think a lot of these stories don't really make sense with the idea of reincarnation. I just I've got got a couple more of these. I just wanted to give you uh, another one because there's, there's again what what I think's striking about a number of these people who are interviewed. They're not particularly into the paranormal or spiritual, and, I, and again, the people I talked to about it again weren't saying, "Well, look, I'm not a great believer in this stuff," but something weird was happening. So, this is the story of Chrissy Foskett, who lives in Rosyth. She's 38. She said, uh, "When I was little, my parents split up, so I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, Barbara." After I moved to Scotland, I didn't see so much of her, but we kept in touch on the phone. She was in her late 80s and was a very no-nonsense independent person. Two years ago, she fell ill and I was boarding a flight to visit her when I got the call to say that she died. I was so devastated and I collapsed. A week later, I was trying to write a eulogy for my grand's funeral while on holiday in the west coast of Scotland, but I really struggled. It was as if my memories were blocked. Then one day I was sitting overlooking the water and a beautiful heron landed a few metres away. At that exact moment, a flood of memories came rushing back. I really sensed the heron was grand. Suddenly I couldn't stop writing about her. Within 35 minutes, I'd written the entire eulogy. The funny thing is, if Gran heard me saying this, she'd say, stop being silly, Chrissy. But while I'm not religious, I do believe that the universe is too big for it all to be about us. All that plain. <laughs> Since that day, when I'm feeling low or stressed, herons do seem to appear, and I feel it's my grand saying, "Come on, you can handle this." I thought what was interesting about that is that kind of a heron appearing is not a typical. I get a robin. There are robins around always, yeah. and, I, and I was thinking a bit about this because 
I wondered when people had told me the stories about the robin, I thought it was almost like this weird analogy, but you know, they always say a gambler only remembers their wins and not their losses. Mm. That mm-hmm. I think I've been outside my my back my back door and seen animals or birds come up very close, including robins, but they're not at a point where I think, oh, I'm thinking about a loved one or but I probably don't remember that. So if you're thinking and it comes at that certain time, like a gambler only remembering their wins, maybe you only remember them at that time and you discount all the other times that it happens. But I think, you know, your, what interested me about your feather story is at the time that that first feather appeared, you knew nothing about your friend's passing. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, the example of it being in your car is could be a coincidence but it's quite an interesting one and this one made me think because a heron is not something you see very often right it's not like a robin um and there's another one like that i'll do one more of these and then i'm going to move on to maybe some of the psychology and maybe other explanations of it that might not be paranormal um this is a story about uh tina jenkins who's 60 tv producer who believed that her dad attended his own funeral in the form of an owl, which, again, another weird kind of animal to pick, not a normal one. Uh, She says, My father loved his garden. He spent his whole time digging vegetables, and even though he was in his mid-80s when he died, he was still pretty fit. Uh, He died in 2012, and we scattered his ashes in his beloved garden. Moments later, a massive barn owl appeared on the fence. It was almost luminous with creamy feathers and a moon-like face. It reminded me of my dad as he'd always had a sort of owlish look. Um, The whole family stared at the owl and it stared straight back at us and it stayed there for about six minutes and didn't move. Funny enough, dad had no sense of spirituality. He was very practical, but I'm convinced he came back to us on that day and I think there's more to the world than just the ordinary. And again, that made me think because I... We've got some fields at the back of us, uh, and there are owl boxes there. So we've had kind of barn owls in our field. And so there are at least two or three boxes, and they've had owls in them. And I think over the course of a year, I've seen those owls three times. Do you know what I mean? Just because they come out at night, and when they fly past, you can just go, oh, God, there's one out hunting. The thought of a barn owl coming and sitting on a fence for six minutes just seems incredible to me because, you know, I've never had an experience like that. I don't know if you have, but they're kind of very, they're very, what's I was going to say private, but that sounds quite weird. They're very (laughs) private animals, the barn owl. (laughs) They don't like press intrusion. Um, (laughs) You know what I'm saying though? They're not like, they're not particularly, like a robin will come up to They're reclusive. That's the word I was looking for. They're reclusive. So, A, you've got an animal that doesn't really come out that much during the day, turning up at, I'm assuming it's daytime, I'm not sure you'd scatter ashes in the middle of the night, it might look a bit weird, but um, that's come out in the middle of the day and sat on a fence for a number of minutes, very close to a group of humans, which is very unlikely, I think. Yes, I I think it is. But what's... It's, what. I've been thinking about since uh, for the last couple of minutes since you said it is um, yes maybe my mental model is wrong so we've heard recently from uh, we've we've been talking about EVPs where uh, one of the explanations is that some kind of entity 
or force is messing with, uh, you know, very complex electronics. Um, And so it isn't beyond the realms of possibility that that same force could do the same thing with, with, with an animal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like not not what you would regard as a kind of total possession, but almost using it as a instrument rather than a possession yeah. is a better way of yeah. describing it. Yeah, exactly. I get, and I think it's got to be that because, I, I, you know, otherwise you are getting into some kind of weird reincarnation or, you know, something that that feels a bit darker and a bit kind of scarier, I think. Spookier, yes. maybe. And I, I, it's interesting because when I was kind of, there's there's more to go with the episode and we're going to go in some some other directions apart from the paranormal but um i was thinking oh i could do ones about animals who are ghost animals or we've talked about ghost animals before i remember you saying well why where are the dinosaurs mm. um but almost i didn't want to do that with this episode i wanted it to be more of a kind of positive experience but i think we should look at kind of animals that could be spiritually possessed or you know, or, or ghostly animals, for want of a better phrase, in another episode. Um, which got me thinking about, well, if this happens to so many people, there might be a non-paranormal explanation for it. So I started to kind of look around the psychology of it because, you know, uh, anyone who's, you know, been through bereavement and when you get to our age ben we've kind of we've had a few people who've go that we've been close to certainly and it does it does affect you in a strange way and it does kind of you know i guess paranormal people say it might open you up to more kind of paranormal experiences but it it does play with your mind a little bit um so i tried to find some research on if there was any kind of psychological explanation for this uh um phenomena of seeing uh loved ones coming back as animals uh and there was very little there was somebody who'd laid out the different way that people kind of project there was a lot on dreams actually a lot of people have um loved ones come back to them uh, in a dream and there's there's kind of two schools of thought that somehow that's some paranormal experience or or it's just the way of your brain trying to deal with the grief and weirdly a lot of kind of psychologists have said don't know which it is but it seems to be of comfort for the people who experience it Mm -hmm. so uh and so this isn't directly related to the animal thing it's more about people coming back in dreams but i think there are parallels with the animal experience so uh william warden who's a psychology professor at harvard medical school he says To cope with the loss more effectively is important that the bereaved find a way to remember and remain connected to the deceased without it negatively affecting their lives, without a negative effect on their life. He talks about visitation in dreams, um, but I think this could easily apply to the animal encounters as well. He says uh, there's a feeling like uh, you are... uh, Let's let's say animals to make it work. An animal is watching or communicating with you, which kind of tick in a lot of these cases. Uh, there is a happy, warm association tick in a lot of these cases, or most of these cases. They come to you in times of distress, and certainly the stories that we've heard fit into that as well. Like the lady with um, with her husband as a robin had some big decisions to make about finding a new partner and her business and stuff. 
you feel a comfort and i think this is an important one it's a way of finding closure so some of the stories when i was talking to people when we were on holiday said you know it was almost as if the animal was saying to them everything's going to be all right so you can see from a psychological point of view and i'm not saying that none of these are that they're all psychological responses there could be some paranormal in there it could be a mixture of the two but you can certainly see why an animal is quite a good expression for your kind of grief because there's a disconnect there so it's not spooky like a ghost there's a disconnect and I guess because it isn't talking to you or communicating to you directly you can probably interpret what's going on it's probably you interpreting it in your own mind necessarily than than the animal speaking to you does that do you see where i'm going with that? i do yeah yeah i exactly see what you mean mm. so so i guess you know like i said i'm not saying that none of these are paranormal experiences or they're not spirit guides or people coming back to you but there could be a good psychological reason why people are let's say identifying and a bit like my analogy of the gambler you know you're in need of comfort and reassurance and whatever when you're in grief so you maybe latch on to animals in that way then i had another thought which was well could the, could these animals actually be picking up on your stress and grief so not in a paranormal way but actually trying to comfort you <laughs> you know oh i see yeah um yeah just just in a connected being a living organism kind of way yeah and I, so i'm going to move into a section which is probably not paranormal in sense but it does kind of fit into this theory that and, and i've titled this bit animals are smarter than you think which i think you know i i, I well this is interesting so uh i found a study uh there's a study that has shown that dogs can differentiate between human emotions um from signs such as facial expressions Experiments were carried out by a team of animal behaviour experts and psychologists at the University of Lincoln, UK, and the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. They presented 17 untrained dogs with images and sounds conveying either positive or negative emotional expressions. Dogs were shown two human faces, one with a positive emotion and one with a negative. Then human sounds were played, both positive and negative. The results published uh, recently in the Royal Society Journal found that dogs spent significantly longer looking at the facial expressions which matched the emotional state of the vocalisations. So if you think you're the dog, right, you've got two pictures, you've got happy face, sad face, and then they play a random piece of audio, let's say, that's happy, and they found that the dogs would spend, when a happy sound was playing, the dogs would look at the happy face. When a sad sound was playing, they'd look at the sad face or angry face or whatever. So they could recognise the emotional sound. What was interesting about the study, because you think, okay, well, maybe it's a kind of language thing, which I think is dedication by the people who did the experiment. They deliberately used dogs uh, and played uh, the audio not in their... I'm going to say the native language in the country that they'd grown up with. So they had no association with the sound. So it was literally about the expression of emotion and not the words, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so basically it said that dogs could seriously recognise your emotional state and react to you 
with that. And uh, there was a similar test that was done uh, about a year later because you think cat dogs are probably used to that because they're domesticated more and they are more attached to humans and 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 over the the history of of dogs throughout the ages. Uh, and I know cats are domesticated as well, but anyone who's had a cat knows that they kind of don't really do anything that they don't want to do, right? Um, exactly. But cats seem to show the same phenomena as well. They can recognise facial expressions and vocal tones and know uh, a human's emotional state. They just don't care. <laughs> yeah, cats, yeah, exactly. They know. They're like, yeah, whatever. Um, so I thought that was interesting that, you know, because, again, I've heard many kind of pet owners say that, their pet, their dog or their cat can tell whether they're upset and may come over to comfort them or whatever. Um, I don't really have any dogs or cats, so I don't know. Does your cat, did your dog do that to you, Ben? Is he, does he uh, recognise yeah. your emotions, do you think? Yeah, I would say, yeah, if either of us are feeling poorly or something like that, yeah, he comes and... Gives you more attention. Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. So... Uh, that's what so so but then i think there that's a big stretch from a dog doing that to its owner to a wild animal like a robin or an owl or a heron saying oh there's someone in distress i'll go and kind of cheer them up or comfort them or help them it's it's quite a leap from a domesticated pet to a wild animal doing that right it is it is uh, especially as as a species <laughs> We eat so many damn birds. I mean... That's true. I, I would definitely caution them against coming too close. Well, none of those particularly fall on the menu, do they? A robin, a heron and a, an owl. So so maybe there <laughs> Have is... Have never had a bird in a bird <laughs> yeah, in a bird? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not that one. That would be a very strange combination. So, so from there I started to think, well, are there wild animals that kind of will interact with humans in this way that will comfort or whatever. And I came across some incredible stories of wild animals that have saved humans' lives. Um, I'm going to start with an amazing story. Uh, this happened in 20, uh, 20, 2005. Uh, where a 12-year-old Kenyan girl was kidnapped by four men while walking home from school. Uh, it's a story that could have ended in tragedy if not for a pride of lions who stopped to save her. This is amazing. A week after the abduction, the kidnappers were chased off by three lions who then guarded the girl until police arrived to rescue her. Police say they found the girl shocked and terrified but surrounded by these three lions. The massive beast quickly disappeared when the officers arrived. She was bruised from being mishandled by the kidnappers, but the lions never laid a paw on her. That's interesting. So I'm trying to think of another reason why they might have done it, other than that interpretation. Well, there was... The, I mean, there was a bit in the in the article I read that said... Uh, animal behaviourists said, well, maybe they were just circling her because they were working out whether they wanted to eat her. But it seemed to go on too long for that to be the case. Mm. Although, you know, cats do kind of play with their food and whatever. But it it didn't look, from the story, it didn't seem like they were being aggressive to her. 
Uh, it said in some way they may have identified her almost, and this didn't make much sense to me, but almost mistaken her for a lion cub because she was young. But 12 is not like, you know, a 12-year-old is probably about the size of a small lion, not a lion cub, right? So mm. there, was a, there was a suggestion that they may have protected her because she was a similar whatever they mistook her for a lion cub. But then I don't think lions are always that, you know, maternal or paternal to cubs that are not their own anyway, right? So... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that does sound... That does sound like something peculiar happened there, for sure. Yeah. Um, there, there's another one. Uh, so this this article starts by saying there are reasons so many people love dolphins, and there are lots of examples. Actually, I found quite a lot of dolphins and whales that kind of interacted and saved humans, and they're they're very similar to this story. I think some of the ones I found. Um, Rob Howes was swimming with three other lifeguards, including his 15-year-old daughter off the coast of New Zealand, when a pod of dolphins rushed towards them and formed a circle around them. The dolphins closed tightly and started slapping the water violently. At first the lifeguards were confused, maybe even a bit scared. Then Howe spotted a great white shark. He said, The form came travelling around us in an arc around me. I knew instinctively what it was. He said, but the dolphin chain was enough to keep the shark at bay until a rescue boat got close enough to scare the big shark away. The dolphin stayed close until the group was safely back to shore. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty extraordinary. I mean, I have come across uh, stories of dolphins paying particular attention to humans and taking their side when threatened with a predator but i i just can't think of a good reason why yeah i mean it doesn't make sense does it uh, and there are there was another, there's other examples of that dolphins there was one that i've not covered in here but it was somebody who decided to take their own life by jumping off the golden gate bridge um and it, the fall didn't kill them, but they'd broken their back, so they couldn't keep their head above water, so they would have died. But a seal came and nudged them to the surface and made sure that their head was above the water so they could breathe until someone came along and rescued them. You know, it's just... And there's, there's other stories of whales and other dolphins protecting humans from sharks, especially... Um, and again, it's like surely they. I mean, these are very intelligent creatures. They know it's not a dolphin. You know what's in it. You know, uh, weirdly, I'm thinking there was a Simpsons episodes where the dolphins got fed up of being nice to us. I don't know if you ever saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of that just went through my head. But um, why they would choose to save us, I've no idea. But, you know, there are plenty of examples of those kind of stories of dolphins, whales, and even sea lions who've kind of saved a human being, which is just, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. But I think it all comes down to, for me, like, what is the what is the motivation? I kind of like that idea that they've uh, mistaken those people they're saving for something of their own, but I, that doesn't. I don't think that holds a lot of water. No. I mean, we don't look like dolphins. 
No, although I don't know what where this story whether the lifeguards were on surfboards, but there is a thing, isn't there, that that humans on surfboards paddling uh, to sharks look very much like seals, and uh, they think a lot of shark attacks on people on surfboards are are sharks basically thinking it's a seal. So whether yeah. do, whether dolphins, but would a dolphin protect a seal? I don't, I don't know. Why would a dolphin protect a seal from a shark? It doesn't. Right. Yeah. Why yeah, would a dolphin exactly. protect anything apart from a dolphin from a shark attack? I don't know. And and if they have, you know, if those animals have that level of awareness, why can we not just say, "Oh, a great white," just yeah. really fancies a bite of human? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Amazing. The last the last one of these stories uh, is both sad and kind of heartwarming it just it, uh, honestly it maybe almost brought a tear to my eye but it's the story uh of uh, uh from ontario canada so there's a family on a camping trip uh and real the, bo- the boy was called real his parents decided to go on a boat to go fishing real stayed on the shore but was horrified when he witnessed the boat tip over and his pa- parents struggle in the water uh, and they drowned. So he he watched the boat tip over, and his parents didn't come back. So he's he doesn't say how old he is, but he was a young boy who was left on the side of the the on this holiday in the middle of nowhere in Canada. Uh, he decided to set off walking to try and find the nearest town to try and get help. Uh, when the sun set, he realised that he would have to spend the night on the cold, damp ground. As he lay there crying, he felt a warm, furry body press up against him, which he thought was probably a dog. Delirious from his ordeal, he fell asleep. In the morning, he woke up to see three wild beavers huddled against him, all across his body. They had saved him from freezing to death overnight when the temperatures dipped below zero. Hmm. And again, you kind of go, why would these animals do that? Yeah. Like... The sort of the principle that I guess we all assume is that um, animals, you know, the instinct is look after yourself and look after the rest of the pack, the rest yeah. of the species. And like, I can, like, like you say, I get a dog and to an extent a cat because you are your dog's primary caregiver yeah there's something in it for them right yeah right yeah exactly yeah but yeah a a wild animal i don't get you know and it just uh, i guess the connection i'm trying to make is and it would be amazing thing if these encounters spiritual you know inverted commas encounters with animals that come to you in time of grief you know, in a way, rather than any kind of paranormal thing, there's, there'd be something incredibly comforting if it was just an animal recognising that you were in a bit of distress and trying to help you. There's something amazing about that thought. Maybe That's I'm right. trying to, maybe I'm trying to shoehorn it in, but those stories do show that animals with no benefit to them, like you say, they're not pets. They're not. It's not protecting somebody who gives them a source of food and love and attention. These are wild animals that have decided to save human beings, you know, yeah. to, hu- to huddle up to a, a, a child who's lost in the woods, you know, in minus temperatures and kind of wrap yourself around them to keep them warm. That's just an incredible thing to do. 
Well, one of the um, the sets of stories that has always intrigued me is that um, uh, children, lost children or abandoned children raised by wolves. Yeah. And, and raised by wolves has become like a, um, uh, a trope, hasn't it? I mean, you know, you... People people say it as a as a glib thing. Yeah. Whereas um, it does appear it does appear to have happened. Yeah. And that's that's odd. Yeah. Do you think uh, it's interesting? Just like we have pets, if you're raised by wolves, do you think they just think you're a pet? That's quite an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. weird, isn't it? I've never thought about it that way. Um, I want to end with just again. I've just got a couple of short stories for anyone who thinks that, you know, animals are just basic creatures who are a bit dumb. And I think as humans, we kind of think that. We've got a kind of arrogance when it comes to animals, right? A lot of us have. So um, these are some amazing rescue stories of animals who have got lost, basically, and found their way home. Um, these are very short. There's one... Uh, there was a cat who was lovely named Giggle Blizzard. And he, <laughs> this cat was injured in a car accident and managed to survive. Um, he basically, the, the cat had run away from home and it ended up 11, 11 miles away from where he lived. Uh, what's that, 15 kilometres? I don't know, for those of you. 11 miles, it's, look it up if yeah, you want to Google it. Um, now, this cat had, in the car crash, had broken both its legs uh it crawled back home with two broken legs it took him 11 days he arrived on his front porch his owners rushed out took him to the vet where his legs were quickly put in cast after just a week of recovery giggle blizzard was back on his feet uh now which is great because this 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 cat lived in Spring Hill, Florida. So he, I don't know how he'd got 11 miles from his home, got run over, dragged himself back over 11 days back home to Florida on the boat and managed to find his actual home. Uh, <laughs> now back on his feet, has his own Facebook page that has a ho over 100 friends. I'll put a link to it because I did find the page. But yeah, this cat... Uh, has got his own Facebook page and survived this thing. But I just the thought of how does it know where to go? And it dragged himself with two broken legs for 11 miles. Yeah, I mean, that is verging, it's verging on the paranormal, isn't it? It kind of is. There's another one that I've got here, which is about a, a Siberian husky called Moon. Um, it, it lives in America. Now, I've seen two versions of this story. Um, one of them, it, so it's definitely a story, but there seems to be two various iterations of it, which made me a little bit nervous. So me and this Siberian husky, uh, the family were away on holiday and they'd taken the dog. Well, they've got three dogs, I think. And Moon ran off and they couldn't find him. So after searching, they had to leave. Uh, she was missing for about a week. She eventually found her way home, travelling 77 miles, so 100 kilometres, across the desert and two mountain ranges to get home, which is incredible. But 
I did hear another, there's another version of this story, and I don't know if it was missed out of the one that I first read, that <laughs> Moon the Siberian Husky managed to hitchhike part of the way home. <laughs> that it was walking on the side of the road and a lorry driver stopped, put it, knew it was some kind of lost dog. It got in the cabin. The, sto- the one version of the story is that the uh, the truck managed to end up in the dog's hometown, big town somewhere. I don't know where it was in Nevada, but um, and as soon as the truck driver opened the door to try and you know I don't know take it to a pound or whatever, the dog ran off and found out it was about three blocks from where it actually lived and found its way home. So I don't know which I don't know if that's true or not because there are seem to be two versions of the story. But either way, I believe it is part of it's true that it managed to make a seventy-seven mile round trip across the desert and two mountain ranges to find its way back home. Okay, I, I can't even. I've been in. I, I've you know live in the country now, but I lived in London for like over twenty years. There are parts of London I'd get I'd get lost on the walk home sometimes let alone across two mountain ranges and find my way back to where I lived. So it's crazy. Yeah. This is my one of my favourite animal stories. It's about Yosuku the parrot. Yosuku the parrot lived in Tokyo. He, uh, his parents, had, uh, parents, his owners, I guess you'd say, <laughs> his parents. <laughs> it's not, it's not angry birds, is it? His owners had let it out of the cage to fly around in the house, but they'd forgotten they'd left a window open. So it went, it flew off, it fled, it made, it made out. Um, so it was lost. Uh, the owners thought they'd never see the parrot again. The police rescued the African grey parrot from a rooftop. It got stuck on a roof and somebody had basically phoned the police and said, there's this weird bird on the roof, do you want to come and get it? It was a few miles away from its Tokyo home. After spending a night at the police station, he was transferred to a veterinary hospital where he suddenly began talking. Um, And much to the veterinarian's uh, shock, (laughs) the parrot suddenly turned around and said, my name is Mr. Yusuke Nakamura, and I live at... And then he gave his full address. <laughs> oh. Wow. <laughs> so they managed to take it home to his owner. Uh, the Nakamura family told police they'd been trying to teach the bird its name and address for about two years, but didn't think any of it had gone in. <laughs> 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 but when it came to the crunch and it needed to get home, it suddenly turned round to the vet and said, my name is Yakamura, no, sorry, Yuzuka Nakamura, and I live here. So... Yeah, he kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, he kind of he had a sense that you know, having not been able to, or at least not being asked to, to do what his uh, his owners had taught him, when 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 the chips were down, uh, when the millet was against the wall, he managed to come up <laughs> with uh, with it, with pull out the goods and basically give his name and coming home. But can you, can you imagine the vet standing there and suddenly this thing, my name, my name is Yusuke Nakamura and I live at 13, 24, you know, whatever. Brilliant. Yeah. Wow. No, I really like that. It's so Gosh. Funny. Well, I mean, that sort of implies a level of consciousness, right? Yeah. And I think, 
I mean, just to ta- tag it back to the paranormal, I think I, it's funny researching this. It's like, and you know this stuff in your head, but somehow focusing on it, you just, you know, certainly animals are a lot smarter than we think. We kind of almost have a uh, a Darwinian, rightly, but we have a Darwinian survival of the fittest, but that sometimes puts the thing in your mind that, they don't care about anything else but themselves or at least their immediate family or their own needs. But I think a lot of these stories, whether paranormal or not, or a mixture of the two, are really about, A, they're kind of smarter than you think, animals, and B, there does seem to be some level, whether it's spiritual, paranormal or not, where they have more of a compassionate affinity with humans than maybe we give them credit for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I mean, I think anyone who has um, been close to uh, a pet, and I speak, you know, rather exclusively for dogs, but um, there's a lot more to dogs than scientists tell us. I mean, they ju- yeah, it, and I can't really put my finger on it, but I just know the. <laughs> that sounds like some. Is there some big veterinary conspiracy? It sounds. Oh, no. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like it, he has an innate thing. Like he knows. Like I, it's, it's odd to say, but he kind of knows what's going on. And I, like, if I if I get up from the sofa. And I have an intention to put his lead on and take him out in the car. He seems to know that that's the intention. Right. And it's really right. different to me just getting off the sofa to go to the loo. Right. And scientists explain it by, well, he picks up on towels and stuff. But I don't know, because he'll, God, he'll I'm wake not gonna, up from being asleep. I'm never going to play poker against your dog. He's like one of oh, those, yeah, no, he's no. Like one of those in those paintings. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, he 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 counts cards for sure. Oh, guy's yeah, big yeah. cigar in his mouth. But I think my in kind of summary, I guess my my this was sparked by the the incident with the two birds that appeared injured at my house. Mm. Um and then these stories coming from people about them really believing that somehow the spirit of someone deceased was at least communicating them or with them or comforting them and i guess my my logical brain immediately went right there's a psychological reason for this and there is some psychology that does make sense around it but you know exploring some of the stories further i don't think you can just a write it off as psychology i think some of them a lot of them maybe some of them don't seem as easy to write off from a pure psychological point of view of you kind of projecting something into these animals, uh, certainly in the case of grief. Um, you know, the the examples of animals saving humans are just amazing to me, you know. I think mm. the ones at the end of them finding their way home probably just says that they're more intelligent than you think. But I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is... I think the level of compassion of those stories, I think, really interests me. And I, I'm not sure all of them can be put down to... Well, I, I think there are there, there's certainly something paranormal 
about them, whether it's with a big P or not, but certainly the ones around grief. I mean, an animal realising that you're in distress and grief, I don't think all of those stories could, even if that were true, could be explained away by that. No. Or, or the psychological thing of you projecting onto an animal your grief. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It feels it feels like there's something else going on. Um, and, and back to your, you know, simulation kind of matrix thing. It's amazing how often we come back to that. Or, you know, or something that Daz Smith said in our remote interview that, or remote interview that we did with him you know, about, you know, entangled particles and that we're all space dust and all that, we're all connected in some way, you know. And I, and I wonder if, you know, we read out a little bit about uh, Native American culture and spirit animals and totems and stuff like that. And I, it's not something that's new, so it's something that humans have been picking up on for centuries, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. But it, it, it speaks of um, sort of a part of reality that we skim over and don't pay too much attention to. I mean, there's, there's a Buddhist thing, isn't there, about um, karma and mm. being uh, kind to animals and how it'll repay you. So at the basic level... If if you're bad, you'll you'll come back as a as a bee, mm. and uh, if not, then you you will you will ascend. And so the, there is like it seems like in a lot of religions and faith systems that there is something put in uh, the the place that animals have in our lives. Mm. But it all seems quite it all seems quite simplistic. It really does, and like you know to go back to dogs and cats like how did that relationship start yeah yeah i mean i know that we have this tale about you know dogs coming and seeking warmth from our fires and um us taking care of their young because they look so cute and feeding them but that seems like a very materialistic mm. explanation and maybe there's there's more to it than that yeah I know it's funny because you were mentioning about kind of, you know, eating animals earlier, and I, I, I was just thinking, just pop, thought popped into my head that you know, as as large swathes of the world are meat eaters, do do we almost do we almost subconsciously write off animals in terms mm. of intelligence and compassion and stuff like that because it, it it makes it easier <laughs> to be a meat eater if you do that maybe I don't know. Yeah. No, you know, I think that's right. I think the, the, that's right. So it's funny, we talk about conspiracy, but maybe there is a kind of subconscious conspiracy that we kind of, we certainly underestimate or downplay it because, you know, otherwise maybe emotionally that's quite difficult. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, like anybody that has spent some time, you know... I was going to say getting to know pigs, but like, <laughs> in the company of pigs, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't eat a sausage afterwards. You wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Well, we should probably end there because I've got a bird and a bird and a bird in the oven that I've got to get out. But um, <laughs> it's really easy to burn a robin. You know? <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, 
but I think we should we should revisit the idea of haunted animals and and maybe maybe something that's a bit more demonic. But I, I just wanted this one to be kind of a more of an uplifting kind of uh, experience rather than kind of focus on some of the negative maybe or some of the scarier. Let's say. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And um, I have a a particular. <sighs> interest in owls i think owls are amazing creatures <laughs> and amazing beasts that, yeah amazing well, creatures yeah yeah maybe i think there is a thing uh, there's a whole kind of owl thing because there's also kind of secret societies around owls and power and uh, i mean there is a lot there's a lot to cover with an owl yeah there is there is um and its relationship the the the, the relationship between owls and abductions and synchronicity right uh there's a book uh called the messengers by mike cleland which i've read a few times which talks about this um and whether owls are screen memories or or whatever Ooh. but there's a lot of people who have been who who believe they've been abducted by aliens have a lot of uh relationship with the owl whether it appears outside their window whether right. they see a lot of owls um yeah there is i think there's something going on between owls and the ufo experience so um at some point we'll we'll look at mike cleland's book but for anyone who wants to get ahead with their summer homework the messengers <laughs> owl synchronicity and the ufo abductee by Mike Cleland is uh, a heck of a book to get. And um, I believe, uh, like, <laughs> this is not a paid episode, but I believe it's free on Kindle, uh, Kindle Unlimited at the moment. Brilliant. Okay, good. So, yeah, we'll be back with with owls and UFOs and maybe kind of possessed, haunted, spooky haunted animals at some other point. But um, brilliant. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And uh, follow us on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, um links will be in this episode if you want to do that or go to at tqm podcast and we'll uh we'll see you with a hoot next time on the quantum mechanics absolutely and and also follow our social for uh recipes for uh for robins <laughs> herons loads of birds that you didn't know made tasty dishes all, all my good work's been undone in two sentences <laughs> <laughs> see you next time <laughs> bye the quantum mechanics